This is the Mahabharata Podcast, episode 81, Downfall. Last episode was rather eventful. We saw the election and defeat of the last of the Karva generals, King Shalya, the death of Shakuni, the extinction of Karna's sons, the death of what remained of Duryodhana's brothers, and the dissolution of their army. I think Shalya deserves a bit of an epitaph here, because in many ways you can consider him an exemplar of the Kshatriya's dharma. During the mustering of the allies prior to the war, Shalya mobilized his army for the Pandavas. Presumably, he was motivated to take their side because Sadeva and Nakul were his nephews. But I would also expect that he knew the Pandavas had righteousness on their side, and he acted accordingly. But, like a true nobleman, he was generous in his gifts and true to his word. Thus, when Duryodhana tricked him by hosting and entertaining his troops on the march to his allies, he generously rewarded his host by granting him any favor. Only then did Duryodhana reveal himself and demand Shalya's alliance with his side in the coming battle. Having given his word, and having been fooled fair and square, Shalya kept his promise and duly switched sides. Regretting what had happened, but unwilling to renege on his promise, Shalya went to Yudhishthira to explain what he'd done and why he'd done it. The Pandava understood Dharma well, so he did not hold this against his uncle. Instead, he gave Shalya his blessing to join the enemy's side and only asked for one favor. All he asked Shalya to do was to give Karna a hard time to help throw him off his game. This Shalya did for him, although it didn't seem to have much effect on the outcome of that fight. It is remarkable that once Shalya took to the Karva's side, he went in all the way, even to the point of taking up the unrewarding job of general on the 18th day of the war. True to his dharma, Shalya fought to the best of his abilities and died in service to his enemies at the hands of his own kinsmen. Krishna must have been proud of him for having embodied the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita as well as anyone in that battle. Of course, Shalya's heroic sacrifice tends to get overshadowed by the other events of that day. Duryodhana saw the last of his brothers killed, along with the last of his cronies, Uncle Shakuni. By the end of the 18th day, his army was decimated and the Karva prince was forced to flee the battle on foot by himself. One of the few to survive the battle that day was our faithful war reporter, Sanjay. When the war was just about to begin, Vyasa made an appearance at Dhritarashtra's court just so he could grant the king clairvoyance, so he could watch the battle from the comfort of his own throne. In that scene, back in episode 58, Vyasa offers this vision to the blind king, but he turns it down, asking instead that it be granted to Sanjay, who will then recite to him and to us the events of the war. And so, for most of the war, we hear of the action in terms of a dialogue between the blind king and his omniscient charioteer. But somehow, as the war grinds on, this plot device starts to break down, and we hear that Sanjay seems to be participating in the battle in person. By the middle of the 18th day, the divine vision thing is completely forgotten, and we get Sanjay's first-hand account of the final breakdown and collapse of the Karva effort. Dhritarashtra's charioteer is defeated in battle and taken prisoner. He's nearly killed by Satyaki, but Vyasa steps in out of nowhere and orders his release. Thus, we get a vivid first-hand account of Sanjay walking alone in the twilight when he comes across Duryodhana standing by the shore of Lake Dvaipayana in a state of shock. Thinking that they're the only two survivors left from the war, Duryodhana just wants to hide somewhere and sleep. After ordering Sanjay to tell his father of his fate, the last of the Karavas enters the waters and seals himself up in the lake. Shortly after Duryodhana's immersion, some survivors of the war come down the road and find Sanjay by the lakeshore. These are the last of the Karva champions, Kripa, Ashvataman, and Kritavarman. When Sanjay explained to them the fate of their prince, the three heroes address the waters of the lake, 
They said, Wake up, my lord. We are still prepared to fight for your cause. We may be beaten up badly, but the enemy are in pretty bad shape as well. If we strike them now, and strike them hard, we may still win this battle. From out of the lake, they heard Diodena's voice. He said, I'm glad to know that you've survived the day's fighting, and it doesn't surprise me that you're not ready to give up. But the fact is, we're all pretty beat up from the war, and we need our rest. I, for one, am badly hurt, and I must rest. But tomorrow I'll be better, and then I'll join you and we'll defeat our enemies. Have no doubt of that. Deeply moved, Ashvataman swore to his lord that he would yet defeat their enemies. He said, May I never again enjoy the benefits of the sacrifice if I do not slay the Pandavas in battle. Until they are beaten, I shall not take off my armor. While this was going on, a group of hunters happened to pass by on the far side of the lake, and they noticed these guys talking to the lake. It turned out that these hunters had been hired to provide meat for Bhima each night. It didn't take long for them to figure out what was going on, and they raced over to the Pandava camp to report what they had observed. Either because of their occupation, or their caste or ethnicity, these lowly hunters would not normally have been allowed into the camp. But, expecting great rewards for this information, they went straight to the king's tent to inform him of the core of his whereabouts. The Pandavas, meanwhile, had spent the evening scouring the battlefield in search of Dirodhana. Not knowing whether he was dead or alive, they examined one corpse after the other in search of their cousin's body. It was just when Yudhishthira was beginning to wonder if he'd ever find and defeat Duryodhana that these hunters appeared at his door. The hunters indeed were generously rewarded, and the Pandavas mustered for one final mission to end this conflict. Despite the late hour, the entire army happily marched to the shores of Dvaipayana Lake. Kripa, Ashvataman, and Kritavarman heard the approach of the enemy, and, since the prince would not come out and fight, they took leave of their lord and rode off to hide. Diorana, meanwhile, had frozen over the lake, so it would be impenetrable to any intruders. While the three charioteers rested themselves beneath a distant banyan tree and worried about their prince, Yudhishthira approached the lake, surrounded by his brothers, sons, and allies. Calling out over the lake, the Pandava said, Hey, Diorana, what are you doing down there? After causing so many of your friends and family to die, why are you not trying to save your own life? How can you call yourself a Kuru if you won't come out and fight? It is not becoming of a Kshatriya to run and hide like this. You've enjoyed all the rewards of being a king, so now remember your dharma as a king and either vanquish us or be defeated. Duryodhana heard him and replied, It's not like that at all. I'm not hiding. I just lost all my guards and allies, so I came here to get some rest. I'm sleepy, that's all. But you get some rest too and come back in the morning, then I'll be happy to fight you. Yudhishthira replied, No, we've had enough rest, thank you. So come out and give us battle. Either defeat us now, and you may sleep in your own palace, or be defeated and enjoy the bliss of the fallen heroes. Diodana said, Why would I want to rule over what is left of this land after you have killed everyone who is worth ruling over? No, I just intend to curb your pride by vanquishing you, and then I shall retire into the woods. I have no desire to rule over this bereaved empire. Then he seemed to reconsider and said, You know what? Go ahead and keep this kingdom. I don't want it anymore. You killed all my friends and my brothers and my sons. You can have what's left. I'm going to live in the forest. Yudhishthira said, Not so fast, cousin. You might be willing to give me your kingdom, but I do not want to be given it. I shall either win my kingdom in battle or I do not want it at all. And besides, you had your chance to share the kingdom with me, but when we were begging for such a settlement, you said it would be impossible for you to give up even one inch of territory. But now you want to give it all away. Yudhishthira must have really relished this moment, because he scolded his cousin for quite a while. 
He even dredged up all of Duryodhana's past crimes, going back to the burning palace and the attempt to poison Bhima. And of course, like a dark specter over this whole conflict, he reminded us of the wrongs suffered by Draupadi at his hands. From out of the water came Duryodhana's reply. He said, I'm not afraid of you, I'll fight all of you, but I'm alone, injured, and unarmed, while you have me surrounded by your army. It would be an uneven contest. He seemed to warm to his words as he went along. He said, I'm not afraid of you guys. When I come out of here, I'll beat every one of you. You'll see, I'm going to come out and defeat you all. I'm going to pay back the debt that I owe to Balika, Drona, Bhishma, Karna, Jayadrata, Shalya, Shakuni, and to my sons and my kinsmen. Today, I will free myself of that debt by killing you and your brothers. Yudhishthira applauded his bravado. He said, that's more like it. Now you're talking like a son of Kuru. So come on out and pick any one of us. You can fight him man to man, and I promise that if you win, you shall be king. Duryodhana said, very well. If those are your terms, I choose to fight with the mace as my weapon. I'll take on any one of you. You guys don't scare me. Sanjay commented that Diyodhana had never been spoken to so disrespectfully in his whole life, so Yudhishthira's words really fired up his temper. In his outrage, the Karva heated up the lake, melting away his protective shell, and emerged from the water, still injured and bloody from the day's fighting, and carrying just his cudgel. The Panchalas and Pandavas all cheered when they saw that Yudhishthira had succeeded in drawing out their quarry. Their derision was not unnoticed by Duryodhana, who looked around and began hedging. He said, Now be sure to fight me one at a time. You know it's not proper to gang up on your enemy, especially considering that I have lost my armor and my chariot. Yudhishthira said, Oh ho, so now you don't think it's fair to have many warriors fight a single foe? Why didn't that occur to you when you killed Arjun's son, Abhimanyu? But that's okay, I'll grant you that. And take whatever army you need. Pick which one of us you'd like to fight, and let's get to it. While the Karva cleaned up and donned new armor, Krishna scolded Yudhishthira. He said, Very nice indeed. Out of your soft-heartedness, you've again staked everything on a wretched game of chance. After all we've been through, you're staking everything on a contest where Duryodhana has every advantage. He has perfected the art of mace-fighting, and the only one of you who even comes close to him is Bhima. But Duryodhana has been practicing for years on an iron statue. Bhima is strong, but your cousin has skill. It seems to me that you and your brothers are not destined to be kings. It looks like you were born to live in exile. Bhima didn't like this vote of inconfidence one bit. He complained, Come on, Krishna, I'm not that bad at mace fighting. Just let me at him, and I assure you we have nothing to worry about. Maybe Krishna was just trying to goad them, because he applauded Bhima's bellicosity. He said, yeah, that's a spirit. I believe you can beat him, but just be careful. Your opponent has both strength and skill. Bhima drew up his enormous cudgel and faced his opponent, who did not exhibit the least fear or trepidation. Bhima said, now I want you to call to mind all the crimes that you and your father have inflicted on us. Remember the fire and what you did to Draupadi, so you may see now the terrible fruits of those actions. It was because of you that our elder Bhishma lies now on a bed of arrows. Because of you that Drona, Karna, Shakuni, and all your brothers were slain. Having caused the extermination of all your friends and allies, only you are still living. And today, I shall quell your pride. I shall destroy your hopes and pay you back for all your misdeeds. Duryodhana said, Enough talking. Yeah, I did some mean stuff, but there's nothing you could do about it. I took all your possessions. I made you live like hobos and work as menials. It was awesome. And so far, I've gotten away with it, too. Now, if I beat you, I'll get it all back. And if you beat me, I'll attain paradise. 
Sounds like a good deal to me. Now let's fight. These Bronze Age tough guys loved this kind of banter, and they all cheered the words of both contestants. Just then, as the cousins were about to face off, Krishna's brother, Balram, just showed up out of nowhere. If you recall, Balram had refused to take sides in the war, so he'd gone off on a pilgrimage. But since he had trained both Bhima and Duryodhana in mace fighting, he didn't want to miss this final contest. The two warriors both knelt and worshipped their guru. Balram gave them his blessings and then took a seat to watch the action. You aren't going to believe this, but at this very moment, when Sanjay was about to narrate the final battle for his master's kingdom, old Dhritarashtra interrupted him. He first wanted to know more about Balram's pilgrimage. So what do you think? Shall I go into this long digression about the various pilgrimage spots and the legends surrounding them? Or shall we skip ahead to the fight scene? Having taken the time to read through all these stories, I think it would be grateful if I just skip over most of it. Somehow, since Balram had been on a pilgrimage mostly to the sacred fords on the river Sarsvati, some editor thought it would be a good idea to insert about a hundred pages of stories to do with these holy places. Some stories we've already heard before, like the one where a cow craps out an army, or the sadhu who bled vegetable juice. Others seem to be astrological myths. They all seem out of place to me, so we'll skip ahead. Just before the contest was to begin, Yudhishthira also paid his respects to Balram, and Balram suggested that they move the venue. I guess they had wandered off the sacred site of Kurukshetra, so Balram suggested that they head back to that hallowed location for this ultimate showdown. Thus, everyone picked up and trudged westward to a clearing in the field of the Kurus, where they picked a flat, sandy spot to have their contest. Sanjay said, with a deep voice, Duryodhana roared joyously, challenging Bhima to battle. As he said this, many terrible portents became apparent. A hot wind blew up clouds of biting dust and rocks, and a thick gloom developed all around them. Thunder roared, meteors fell from the sky, and the sun was eclipsed by the moon. The two combatants ignored all this and just charged at each other with a roar. At first, the cousins circled each other, checking for weaknesses in each other's guard, each dodging the other's blows. But the fight soon heated up. Diorana got in the first good blow, hitting Bhima on the side. He parried Bhima's retort and then struck him on the head. But even though his mace vibrated and rang like a bell, Bhima just shook it off and kept fighting. Bhima then brought his cudgel smashing down on his foe, but the Karva dodged it and struck back, hitting the Pandava on the chest. This blow struck home, and Bhima was knocked backwards and seemed momentarily to forget where he was and what was going on. The spectators grew concerned that things might not turn out well. But before the setback could be turned into defeat, Bhima snapped out of it and renewed his onslaught. Whirling the mace over his head, Bhima struck Duryodhana on the side, which knocked him to his knees. At the sight of the Karva's fall, the spectators all cheered, but this only made the prince mad. Breathing heavily, Duryodhana got up and swung his cudgel at Bhima's head. Bhima did not dodge the blow. Instead, he held his ground and took it right on the forehead. The mace rattled in his hand, and blood streamed down Bhima's face, but he was otherwise unfazed. Instead, Bhima returned the blow, knocking his cousin flat out on the ground. Bhima then stumbled and fell unconscious as well. By now, a crowd of gods and apsaras had gathered to watch the entertainment, and they helped bring the two back around by raining fragrant blossoms down on their prostrate bodies. While the two combatants struggled to climb back to their feet, Arjun asked Krishna nervously, Do you think Bhima can beat him? Krishna replied, Well, Bhima has the greater strength, but Duryodhana has the skill. 
and skill wins out over strength. So as long as he plays by the rules, I don't think your brother has much of a chance. But you know, Bhima had already swore to break Duryodhana's thigh, so let him do that. It's normally against the rules to strike below the belt, but since he is fated to do it anyway, he might as well do it now. If your brother insists on a fair fight, then I think your cause is in grave danger. Really, your brother was foolish to stake everything on this contest, so now we'll need to resort to a trick. Krishna went on to justify this. After all, the gods only vanquished the Asuras by the use of deception, and Indra had to use a trick to kill Vritra. As Bhima and Duryodhana circled each other warily, Bhima's eyes lit on Arjun, who signaled to him by striking his thigh angrily. Bhim just nodded and began looking for an opening to carry out his brother's advice. The moment finally came when Duryodhana aimed for Bhima's head. Bringing his cudgel up high for a fatal blow, the Karva opened himself up for a low blow. Bhima seized the opportunity and swung his mace at Duryodhana's thighs, fracturing both legs in a single blow. Thus crippled, the Karva came crashing down to the earth. From all directions in the surrounding woods came the howls of Rakshasas and carrion beasts, while the ground shook. The Pandavas ignored all that and just congratulated each other on their success. Bhim, meanwhile, walked up to his victim and placed his left foot on Duryodhana's head. He said, You wretch! You once laughed at Draupadi as she was disrobed in court. Experience now the consequences of that insult. Then he gave his cousin a good kick in the head, also with his left foot. I guess I should mention that in Indian culture, there's a strong emphasis on cleanliness. The hands are typically clean and the feet are not. The right hand is cleaner than the left. Therefore, Bhima's left foot would be considered the dirtiest and most insulting way to touch another person, particularly to their head. As Bhima continued to kick Duryodhana, he seemed to have gone a bit mad. Punctuating his words with his kicks, he said, We have finally turned the tables on you. We are strong and you are weak. But we did not need guile, no fire, no dice, no deception. Only by the strength of our arms did we win back what was ours. Bhima then laughed and addressed his brothers, saying, Through the ascetic penances of Drupad's daughter, all of those who dragged her, while ill, into the assembly hall are all slain in battle. Those wicked sons of Dhritarashtra, who insulted and cheated us, have been slain by us, along with their friends and relatives, and I don't care if we go to hell for it. He gave his cousin another kick to the head for good measure. Sanjay said, While Bhima was thus boasting and dancing madly, Yudhishthira finally told him to cut it out. He said, You've done what you swore to do, and by that you fought unfairly. So stop this now. You're about to kick his head off. He's a king after all. You're being disgraceful. Look at him. He was once king of the Kurus. And now his kinsmen are slain, his friends and counselors dead, and his proud armies annihilated. He was defeated in battle. You should pity him. His brothers were killed, as were his sons. There is no one to carry on his line. Now weeping, Yudhishthira spoke to Duryodhana. He said, My lord, do not be angry or blame yourself. Without a doubt, you are experiencing the dreadful consequences of your prior actions. I do not doubt that the Creator set this whole thing up so that you should injure us and we should injure you. But by having caused all your friends and brothers and allies to be slain, you come now to your own death. You are not to be pitied. On the contrary, it is we that deserve to be pitied. We are the ones who must trudge forward in this world, bereft of our friends and kinsmen. How shall I face the millions of widows? So go now, leave this world. You have surely earned your place in paradise. We, on the other hand, shall be like hell beings. The wives of Dhritarashtra's sons and grandsons will surely curse us all. While Yudhishthira wept, Balram had a very different emotion, rage. 
He was incensed at how his student had resorted to foul play in order to win. He said, You've done very badly, Bhima. Never in the history of mace warfare has someone dealt as low a blow as you. The rules are that you never hit below the belt. Those are the rules. Everyone knows the rules. But you, you stupido, you don't follow the rules. You do what you like. Balram ranted on like this and worked himself up to the point that he attacked Bhima with his preposterous plow weapon. Krishna had to run out and stop his brother by giving him a bear hug. He also scolded Balram. He said, Quill it. The Pandavas are our natural allies. They are the children of our own aunt. Besides, Bhima swore an oath before the whole assembly that he would break Duryodhana's thighs with his mace. The Rishi Maitreya had also reiterated the same curse. Therefore, I do not see anything to fault Bhima with. Be mindful of your temper. The Pandavas are our relatives and our friends. What is good for them is good for us, so just relax, okay? Bahram was still mad, but he had calmed down quite a bit. He still complained. But he broke the rules. You can't just go around picking and choosing what rules to follow. Krishna said soothingly, It's okay. Take a deep breath. Remember Bhima's oath? And besides, the Kali Yuga is on us. And stuff like this tends to happen in the Dark Age. But Balram just wasn't willing to let this go. He calmed down, but then laid down his verdict. He said, For having unfairly slain the righteous King Duryodhana, Bhima shall henceforth be known as a crooked warrior. As for good King Duryodhana, his lot shall be paradise. He is a fair warrior. By arranging for this sacrifice of battle, by undergoing the bloody initiation of warfare, and lastly, by having poured his life as a final libation upon the fire of war, Duryodhana has fairly completed his ritual sacrifice and shall attain final glory. With this rather disturbing eulogy, Balram mounted his chariot and drove off. Sanjay says that after watching him drive away in a huff, the Panchalas, the Vrishnis, and the Pandavas all became rather cheerless. Pensive might be a better word. Anyway, Krishna broke the silence by castigating the victors a little more. He said, Hey Yudhishthira, why did you just stand there and let Bhima desecrate Duryodhana's corpse? As an expert in morality, how is it you just stood by and allowed it to happen? If I were Yudhishthira, I'd have said, Don't fuck with me, man. I'm king of the world, and I killed millions to get here. But that's not our Yudhishthira. Instead, he answered, It's okay. Bhima was really angry, and he's been through a lot lately. I didn't like it any more than you, but then I considered all the bad stuff that bastard did, and then I didn't really want to make him stop. Krishna accepted his explanation and seemed to approve. Then Bhima, his face full of joy, stood before his brother and saluted him as a king. He said proudly, Today the earth is yours, O king. She is in a state of peace, and all the bad elements have been eliminated. Now rule over her, according to the dharma of a king. He who was the cause of these hostilities and the source of all deception and guile now lies stricken on the bare ground. The earth and all its riches, freed of all foes, now belongs to you. Yudhishthira then stood and addressed his supporters. He said, The war is over. King Duryodhana has been struck down. Acting according to the counsels of Krishna, we have conquered the entire earth. Well, there you have it. The war is over. But even before they started celebrating, they've already begun to taste the bitter fruits of civil war. Thanks for listening.